right from the can It tasted so bland I asked a lass to pass me a glass Of Engel's conditions of the working class Right away they dragged me to the committee To explain my un-American activity They're gonna see they made a mistake If they'd only let me play my mixtape I'm not partial to the marshal Or the plutocrats in their beaver hats And the fascists have the outfits But I don't care for the outfits What I care about is music And the communists have the music I hear a melody And just as suddenly I know Who I'm supposed to be I don't need a rationale Sing the international I only need to plug in the headphone jack So I can listen to my backing track I'm not jealous of the zealous Or anarchics with guitar picks and a fashion... Hey there, Sea Monkeys, it's me, Heathen Murphy, the Nintendo fanboy who would happily abolish Nintendo for sweet, sweet socialism. And... I'm stoned as fuck! Regardless, I, the scourge of the deep, welcome you to Leftendo, the aquatic voice of the gaming proletariat, and remind you that this is a mostly safe space. Intolerance will not be tolerated. Every episode of Leftendo, we perform a holy ritual in nihilist navel-gazing so as not to succumb to Loki's torments in this barely pre-Ragnarok epoch. As ever, I'm coming to you from somewhere below the briny, acidic, plasticky deep where phosphorescent wonders never cease and men fear to tread. It is exactly one degree below zero out here in the frozen deep, so we're having a heat wave. <laughs> yeah, that's right, you come to your left hendo for only the finest in old people movie references. I'm stoned as fuck! Anyway, this week, episode 15, Weetastic and Indecredible. Yes. <laughs> That's the name I gave this web, this fucking episode. Stone. In this episode, a surprising indie direct kind of sorta. Piku Niku and Leftendo will destroy the fabric of gaming reality. So much huge news dropped since last we spoke, so let's immediately dive into the, the news, news from, from hell. hell. Donald Trump, along with many allies, have conspired to foment a coup in Venezuela, the most brazen, transparent attempt since the 1980s, probably, with the opposition leader in the Venezuelan National Assembly literally declaring himself the legitimate president with the backing of the United States, France, Great Britain, and others. This disgusting imperialist display is made all the more bitter by Democrats who have been screaming about Russian election interference in the last two years, remaining mostly silent or even encouraging this illegal action. Go fuck yourself. Speaking of the fuckwads, though, they have finally done the literal bare minimum and reopened the crumbling edifice that once used to be the U.S. government. This is good news as a listeria outbreak was just discovered in pears and plums and major retailers, and if the shutdown continued past February 1st, poor people wouldn't even be able to eat their poison peaches as food stamps would have been cut off. It is only because federal workers in logistics began striking that the shit for brains geriatric mummies on both sides reopened the government. Don't be assholes and give Nancy Pelosi the credit. 
But transitioning to a bit of encouraging-ish news for a change, the Twitch streamer H Bomber Guy finished his 57-hour Donkey Kong stream after achieving 101% in the game and raising over $340,000 for the UK trans charity Mermaids. Along the way, he had guests from the gaming industry and the wonderful AOC herself stop by to talk about the big N. This is encouraging-ish news because it shows a different side of the gaming community, one that can be tolerant and understanding of other people who are far different than the standard white male gamer. While there's much to be encouraged by here, charity really don't cut it in any particular cause. We must have structural reform so that all men, women, and non-binary folk can be free from the shackles of oppression. Still, on the whole, in our nightmarish event horizon dimension, it's not bad news. Now, far be it from me to be a corporate bootlicker, but I am a Nintendo fanboy, and there were some major Wii-tastic sales numbers that came out from the MPD that deserve our attention, so put on your berets to guard against contamination because it's time to talk about the Lovecraftian horror known as BUSINESS. Making all the self-styled games analysts look like the clickbaity fools they are, according to NPD, the Nintendo Switch was the best-selling console of 2018. This is interesting, because up until December, it wasn't. In fact, the Nintendo Switch had the best December sales for any console since the Wii, all the way back in 2009. That's not even the biggest news, though. Let me ask... What came out in December? That's right, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, and guess what? In just one month, Smash shot to the fifth highest selling game in all of 2018, making it the best selling exclusive launch month for any game in history. And that's just physical sales. Along with that, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe shot up the charts to become the second best-selling racing game of all time, bested only by Mario Kart Wii, and there is every expectation that it will surpass that number sometime this year. All of this has culminated in Nintendo having its best year in software since 2009, outselling both the X-Bone and the PS4 in software in 2018. But fuck that noise, what does it mean for you and me? Well, one, it means the Switch ain't going anywhere. In fact, just the other day, Nintendo President Shintaro Furukawa said that Nintendo currently isn't considering a Switch successor at this time. Unfortunately, he also said they aren't considering a price cut either. You take the good with the bad, I guess. And two, this is a good sign for the industry as a whole, as Nintendo focuses on more consumer-friendly practices. Yet, lest you think I think otherwise, Nintendo is not blameless, it's not sinless, it does great evil just as any other corporation. I want to make that abundantly clear. But of the major console makers and game devs, Nintendo has mostly, mostly, bucked the anti-consumerist trends of loot boxery and releasing half-baked games they can patch later after they got your sweet, sweet money. Great scourges that have plagued the industry in recent years. Two exceptions to that general rule being Kirby Star Allies and their mobile division. But for the most part, Nintendo still makes quality complete games that are free from microtransactions. That paired with their emphasis on inexpensive, amazing indies to fill the drier months in between their first party titles has been a winning strategy that has created the best goddamn console for the customer in a long ass time. So overall, this is fairly good news for ye and me. Congrats to Nintendo. Developer Gears for Breakfast has suggested that the other recent acclaimed hat-based platformer, A Hat in Time, is finally coming to the Nintendo Switch. To be specific, they said soon, and usually I would pass this by as not real news, but I got that hat first. 
I've been waiting to play this game for over a year, and it's been a bit of a roller coaster in regards to its release. Originally, Gears for Breakfast suggested they would not port the beautiful indie platformer to the Switch, but only months later they had reversed that, no doubt seeing the indie explosion happening on that system, but since we've heard a whole lot of nothing about its development. I hope coming soon really means soon, because I want to consume your game, Gears for Breakfast. And a bit of good news, EA has lost their case against the Belgium Gaming Commission, which means they will have to comply and strip all loot box gambling out of FIFA in that country. A major blow to their it's not gambling because we say so argument. Interestingly, they claim they don't agree with Belgium's interpretation of their own law, which is kind of like a bank robber arguing with the interpretation of the law as he's taken away. Though... A bank robber is doing a service to the community, whereas EA is an evil fucking corporation. Before we get to the fun of the new Direct, I have the unfortunate duty to tell you that Metroid Prime 4 has been delayed. In an apologetic video, Shinya Takahashi, general manager of the Entertainment Planning and Development Division of Nintendo, explained that after a review they found the progress on the game had not been satisfactory and have scrapped the whole thing to start over again. There is a silver lining, however, as they have partnered with the original creators of Metroid Prime, Retro Studios, so the delay sucks, but there can be no doubt that we will get a quality game out of this partnership. Anyway, it's time for the real fun. Nintendo UK released the latest edition of the Indie Highlights, which is like a weird stealth Nindie Direct, and revealed nine amazing new games we should go over immediately, starting with... Wargroove, developed by Chucklefish, is a turn-based tactics game reminiscent of Advanced Wars and Fire Emblem that people have been waiting a long time for. It was first announced all the way back in February of 2017. I've never seriously played a tactics game, but I feel kind of drawn to this title, oddly. Hopefully it lives up to its potential and converts me. Next up was the badass Double Kick Heroes, a unique roguelike rhythm shooter coming first to Switch in which you play the drums to shoot hordes of zombies and clansmen, among others, as they try to swarm behind your band's car. With 30 original tracks and licensed songs from Gojira, I was really pumped when I saw this trailer. Again, another genre of games I'm not particularly enamored with, but presented in such a way that I am excited to give rhythm another go. After that was When Ski Lifts Go Wrong. This game at first bored me with its kind of generic mobile art style, but then I saw that you could build your own jumps and bridges, and it seems to have a strong trails influence, so I became more interested. Out now, but I think I'll hold off for a sale before I really consider it. Then we had Forger, a game that has been described uh, by many as a mix of Link to the Past and Stardew Valley with maybe a little Minecraft thrown in. Disregarding the simple, plain pixel art style, I'm almost reminded of Dark Cloud. Anyway, it does look decent, provided it had a cheap price, I would certainly be tempted to give it a go. The turn up in the trailer saying she still loves you even though you dig her out of the ground was a whimsical touch. Forger was developed by Hopfrog, originally as a 24-hour game jam entry, and now in its full-fledged form is being published by Humble Bundle. Next, we have the legendary Goat Simulator. This, the Goatee package, includes all the Payday, MMO, and Space DLC. A funny-looking physics-based janky game that I've long wanted to try. It's out now at $30, and I'm tempted just for the lulls. After we got our tin can eating goat on, they revealed another title published by Chucklefish, this time developed by Hidden Layers, called Inmost. 
Now, from the trailer, we got a lot of hints at story and far less of the actual gameplay. However, the tone of the trailer, the fun, dark pixel art graphics, and the hints at gameplay have me very excited for this one. Whatever it is, it looks right up my alley, and I look forward to more details in the coming months. Up next, we had another Out Now reveal, Unruly Heroes, an interesting-looking action-platformer, seemingly co-op-focused game with nice oil-painting-style graphics based on the Journey to the West mythology of China. Playing as the Monkey King looks fun, but especially for people with someone else to play with, and I'm all alone here at the bottom of the ocean. So, yeah. Shut up, Dolphin Boy. Some people lost their mind over the next game, CrossCode, but I can't say I was one of them. There are a lot of interesting sci-fi elements in this game that should appeal to me, but the twin-stick shooter-esque combat turns me off. Maybe I'm wrong about the combat, we'll have to see. Nevertheless, if you're looking for another action RPG with a pleasant pixel art style, it might be worth your time. Moving on, finally we got to the last game revealed, and it's a doozy. SteamWorld Quest Epic of Gilgamesh. Now, any long-time listeners to the podcast will know that I love the SteamWorld series. 1 and 2 are some of the best games I played all of last year. So, I was quite anxious for a new entry, and while this is no SteamWorld Dig 3, this card-based RPG set in a SteamWorld universe certainly has me intrigued. The people over at Image Informed Games have previously done a similar thing in the release of SteamWorld Heist, a turn-based tactical shooter which, to be honest, I've also enjoyed, but to a lesser extent. I appreciate that they would rather build a universe of games in different genres to give us a little of what we know and like, than outright make separate series. It's an interesting way to run a studio, and even though card-based RPGs are another genre I'm not particularly enamored by, with the SteamWorld name, I'm more than happy to give it a try. And that about ends the indie highlights from Nintendo UK. There was a montage of some of the eShop classics like Hollow Knight, Stardew Valley, etc., but you get the idea. All in all, I thought it was a solid presentation. Not all these games are in genres I historically care for, but they were presented quite well and I found myself wondering if I should give the card RPG or even the twin-stick shooter another try. Wargroove is very high on my buy list now, at least. Before we move on, let's close out this news segment with something bittersweet. After 13 years, the Wii Shop has closed. Rest in peace. All that out of the way though, now it's time for what I've been playing this week. Piku Niku is a brand new game published by Devolver Digital uh, that I had a lot of fun with. It is a very colorful Japanesey, and I, I don't want to—I don't mean that in any kind of racial way. I just mean in just kind of their their weird touch to games, but it's not Japanese. That's the important point there. Otherwise, I wouldn't have said it. Japanesey, colorful, um, 2D puzzle platformer with mild metroidvania or adventure mechanics not a very hard game um it's too short but it's full of really nice little mini games as you explore this world inhabited by strange creatures there's a lot of great humor in it for example you start out the game um you're this little red guy with uh legs that's it and uh, you start out the game in a cave and you get out of the cave and there's a village nearby and everyone believes that the 
thing that lived in the cave, which was closed up before you got out, was some kind of evil mythical beast. And there's even a <laughs> there's even a beast uh, gift shop in the town. And so they're all very afraid of you and you have to earn their trust. But it's all very funny and whimsical and light. And um, I just, I really love this uh, Piku Niku. Uh, Devolver Digital has uh, hit it out of the park again. I wish I could remember the name of the developer, but they did a great job. Let me look up their name right now just to be sure. Yeah, so they were developed by a French-British uh, gaming collective called Sector Dub. And I believe it only has like four members to it. So uh, they did a great job. It's it's an amazing game. Um, and I stand by, you know, just it, basically anything with rare exception to Evolver Digital Publishes on the Switch. You just need to uh, grab up. So I beat that game. It's not very long. It's uh, full of mini games and really funny little uh, stories and it's it's uh, all very colorful and light and seems almost like for kids but then there's this underlying dystopian narrative about the idyllic world you're in um so yeah piku niku it's i think it's 14.99 worth every penny moving on smugglecraft this is kind of a racer slash pick up something and uh, get it from point a to point b help someone escape kind of game uh mostly a racer you know but it's like there's this whole narrative about smugglers and revolution and things it's not very well made i don't hate the game though don't get me wrong uh i like the plain clean art style which is uh doesn't have a lot of like textures it's very smooth in a good way and uh the controls are pretty decent um the reason i say it's kind of like half-baked is I didn't care too much for the art style of the character interactions when you're uh, getting missions, like smuggling missions or delivery, whatnot. Um, and that's fine, though. You know, you can have a difference of agreement on art styles. But what I really don't like about it and what is half-baked is the courses are fun enough. You know, they're fun enough. It's very hard not to get hit by enemy opponents because you can. You can get killed while you're making these runs. That's kind of the other aspect of it. What's worst of all, though, is that you can fall right off the fucking track into just oblivion. And that's happened to me at least six times. I don't want to say it's a bad game, though. Because it's, it's fun in its way. And it got really good reviews on Steam, so I figured I'd pick it up when it was on sale for three bucks. Uh, which was like a, you know, out now kind of sale. I don't know if it's on sale anymore. Uh, if you're looking for a real cheap kind of racing game, I would wait for a sale and pick it up. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not great. It's not bad. But uh, what is great is the Gunman Clive HD Collection. This is uh, no doubt one of the best values in the eShop, in my opinion. It's funny. Gunman Clive is one of the first indies I ever played that I can recall. Uh, I played it on the Wii U. I know I'm kind of late to the indies because I'm not a PC gamer. I maybe played one or two on the Xbox 360, but not to a great extent, you know. Uh, the first one I really remember is Gunman Clive. And it's only five bucks, uh, or four bucks, I think, actually. And uh, it's it's a set of two games. Uh, the first game is very short and very easy. I finished it in about an hour. Um, and I would say the second one is significantly harder, but probably not too hard for most people. It's a Western kind of thing, but it plays very much like a Mega Man game or a kind of an action shooting uh, platforming game, including your, like, bosses and things. It has a really nice art style. Another one of those styles where it's very plain, but they do it in just such a way. The use of colors is very interesting because you don't have a lot of colors in the first game. That's kind of intentional. And then the second game, you know, when you get to like, there's a dinosaur stage 
Uh, you know, the T-Rex is a really bright kind of spectral green. There's a lot of um, effects on characters that kind of give it a kind of a, a soft kind of almost spectral look or kind of a grainy look, kind of like just an old look, you know. So I like the art style. I, I love the gameplay. I've loved coming back to them. I beat the first one. I'm still playing the second one. The second one gets pretty fucking hard. Um, but easily one of the best values on the eShop. I don't care that it's been on every system. If you've never played Gunman Clive, this collection is wonderful. Moving on, though. Uh, the last game on this particular list is a Golf Story. Now, uh, I've been playing a lot of Golf Story. I've gotten much farther into it. It's much bigger than I expected. Actually, when I beat the first golf course and got a trophy i thought wow this is this has been a fun game and i thought it was the end but you know like some 10 hours later i'm still into it uh it opens up and you have to do a whole bunch of things to get to the pros and um, i'm not even quite there yet because i've gotten almost to the end but then the leader I'm, I'm actually technically a pro now but i haven't played in a pro fully pro like um tournament so uh but he won't let me the uh owner of this particular golf course the pro golf course won't let me until I have gotten, what is it? Eight scorecards. Eight. So like, well, he didn't even say like the uh, map, how, so how good I have to play or whatever. The, uh, map. So I have to go back through the uh, map. And anyway, I'm, I'm stoned, stoned as fuck. As I, I love the game. I love all the, uh, the side quests. I like all the courses, especially one course. that's a highlight is the Halloween course. That's really good. It's haunted. It's fun. I like a lot of the mini games. Um, some of them more than others. I don't like the drone mini game. That's kind of difficult to control. And uh, I like the frisbee uh, video game, but an error video game. Stone. Speaking of video games, though, there is a video game within this video game called Golf, which is uh, or Galf, which is G A. LF, which you can play in some kid's uh, house. That's an interesting theme, actually, because in uh, Piku Niku, you can find a NES cartridge because there's a guy who has a NES and a TV in their house, and you go back and you can play it, and it's like a weird version of Pang and Pong mixed together. It's not very good. It's funny. There's a there's a like a, a section in the game that reminds me of Dig Dug. That would have made a better game for the little NES cartridge, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's just kind of interesting finding games within games. I remember that in like going all the way back to fucking, um, fucking. What was it called? Man, hi. <laughs> um. Oh, fuck. Shinmu on the fucking Dreamcast where you could play fucking uh, Sega Mike Master System and arcade games in the arcade in town. I don't know. I just like that little bit, that little touch in some games. Uh, but uh, it's a really fun uh, golf game, a really good RPG. Um, the the story's fine. Uh, what I like about the story is that it's comical at times. That's fun. I'd rather it be comical and kind of forgettable than to be just kind of flat and, you know, kind of boring. So uh, I've enjoyed that. And I've really gotten a lot of value out of Golf Story. It was much longer than I expected and um, very close to finishing it. Uh, moving on, uh, Clash of Carrots. Uh, Clash of Carrots, I'm very close to beating this game. I have two levels left. I've gotten all the other stuff in the world, overworld map. In fact, I believe I have attained all the weapons and uh, masks because at this point, whenever I get a chest or a crate, whatever, um, it just has carrots in it. So I think I've 
maxed out all the stuff I can get. Uh, a great game. I love the beat em up style in it because I'm not usually a big fan of beat em ups, but I really like the way they've structured this, the way they've framed it. It's it's much different. It's uh, harder in some ways, but it's more engaging and fun. And uh, it kind of reminds me of almost like a shooter in a way because you're constantly moving. Um, it doesn't remind me at all like a Infinite Runner. I hate those fucking games. So yeah, so I really, really, really enjoy uh, Ninja Clash of Carrots and having a lot of fun. Almost closed up on that. Yeah, I'm, I've been beating a lot of games lately. <laughs> anyway, uh, those are all the games I played this week or this last couple weeks. I know I've been kind of late with these shows, but I keep doing them, you know, when I can. All that out of the way, now let's talk about Adventure. I like adventure games. Um, uh, let me tell you a little bit about my history of adventure games. I first played an adventure game on my dad's old computer, a who knows knockoff of Dell or whatever from the early 1990s. I played the Sierra game called Gold Rush. Similar in many ways to the much more popular and famous Sierra adventure game, the Oregon Trail, but uh, where you're trying to make it to California during the Great Gold Rush, and you can go about a number of ways. You can go over the country because you start out in like New England. That's more like Oregon Trail, or um, what I tended to do is you could go on a ship and go <laughs> down past Florida all the way to Panama, which you have to get through on foot. And then you can go into a, a, uh, a ship and get to California, theoretically. I was never able to make it past Panama, and I'm lucky I got to Panama even. You always you end up dying of dysentery and whatnot. And um, ever since then, I very much liked adventure games. Now, I'm, I'm kind of lumping adventure games and kind of cinematic platformers with adventure-type mechanics and point-and-click games. I'm kind of sandwiching them all together because I know they are kind of distinct, but at the same time, they're, they're very similar. So uh, lately, I've been playing a couple that I bought over the holidays. I, I think I bought most of these over the holidays, uh, especially Earthworms. I bought that just before the Christmas break. I've been playing uh, Mecha Nika, Bulb Boy, Planet RIX 13, and earthworms. Now, I'm not going to linger on this too much, just kind of an interesting little thing and maybe some recommendations. But to begin, uh, Mecha Nika is about a little girl who hates her life, hates her family, and is very, very good with electronics. So she's thinking about making a mech and uh, destroying the world and remaking it in her own image. She's only like seven years old, and that's the weirdest thing about it, because there's a lot of adult kind of stuff in this point-and-click adventure game. Very, very nice art style. I very much like it. Um, this company made another game, which is actually the main game in this like series. This is like a offshoot of... It's a game published by um, Mango Protocol, also developed by them, and uh, they made another game called... Um, psychotics agatha knife and um that's about her quest to uh convince animals that they should uh, willingly give themselves up to be eaten she makes an appearance in uh, mechanica and that game's a little bit more expensive than mechanica i picked mechanica up because it was like five bucks i assume agatha knife is a bigger game agatha makes an appearance in this she's actually uh, nika's best friend they get along because they're both uh i don't know kind of goth i suppose you could say anyway uh so you're supposed to just like any kind of adventure game you're supposed to find things and um, so she finds parts to make her mech and uh, destroy the world and remake it in her own image um and along the way, you'll meet lots of interesting uh, characters. It's a very nice world. You know, these games, it's all about exploration and looking at things and trying to find stuff. 
which I enjoy, even though it can be frustrating at times. But uh, getting back to what I was trying to say earlier, uh, there's a lot of like sleaziness in this game because there's like um, a hobo who has like a cave and you can see from the outside that he has nude pictures just hung up in the cave. And you can just see them. Uh, the other thing, too, is uh, Nika likes to carry around a flask of cognac, which she calls her inspiration juice or something like that, or relaxation juice. Then there's this guy at her school who sells weapons, uh, but not like um, actual weapons, like uh, like dynamite and stuff. He's uh, He just has like explosives. He's like a little terrorist or whatever. So it's, a, it's an interesting world they've created. I very much like the art style, as I said earlier. And uh, I like that it keeps me uh, guessing, you know, but uh, you might find it a little bit strange. But anyway, that's Mechanica. It's uh, very inexpensive. It's interesting. And it makes me want to try Agatha Knife. Love me some good, weird sleaziness. Moving on, a Bulb Boy. Bulb Boy is about a little bulb man who must figure out what is going on in his crazy house, basically. At least that's what I glean off of it. This is a creepy um point and click or no it's an adventure game but again these games are so similar i mean mecha in, in terms of uh mechanics and um, even like mecha nika uh they kind of mixed the control scheme so that it's point and click and you can move her around which i found kind of confusing but uh no, no matter how you you move these people around the, the games are very similar structure so i count them all as close enough to add to this little list but um Bolt Boy's very, like, creepy. Everything, there's a lot of greens in this game, like, putrid greens. It's all very, like, dark. And uh, there are all kinds of weird monsters in his house. And his grandpa light bulb is, like, dead or something. It's very strange. If you enjoy a kind of dark adventure game um, with, you know, puzzles just like all the others to make progress, you may well enjoy Bulb Boy. Uh, it's it's a very inexpensive game. That's, that's one thing I wanted to mention. All these games on this list, uh, these four games, they're all very inexpensive. I find adventure games often are very inexpensive, and if you're looking for something kind of like, you know, value for your money, and you enjoy kind of a narrative and exploration, uh, you should really give the adventure game genre a chance. There are much better games than I have on this list. This is just a, a small list of some recent ones I've been playing, but there are games like Thumbleweed Park you can pick up. That's a little bit more expensive. Anyway, a uh, good little game, Bubble Boy, uh, Bulb Boy, I keep wanting to say Bubble Boy. Uh, if, if you're into that sort of thing. Moving on, we have Planet RIX 13. Now, I beat this game. It doesn't take long. In fact, it's kind of mentioned often as like, if you want to get some quick achievements for uh, Steam or PS4, just buy this game and finish it in a couple hours. Uh, but, I mean, on its own, it's not a bad little game. It's a sci-fi game in which you uh, wake up on this hostile kind of planet, and uh, all your friends are gone. You've got to figure out what happened, and you've got to get off the planet. You know, you, you're going around in, like, your little spacesuit because there's toxic gases and radiation and shit. And it's it's pretty fun. It's, it's much more straightforward than the other games on this list. It's less story-based. It's more just solve the puzzle. Go here. Go there. Move this. Move that. Make this. Put dynamite here. That sort of thing, which can be very satisfying. So I would say this is a decent enough game if you can get it for like a couple bucks. I wouldn't pay any more than that, though. The last game on this little list, and again, this is just a little list to talk a little bit about adventure games I've been playing lately, is Earthworms. Now, Earthworms is about a reformed Buddhist private investigator who gets asked by a guy who dresses as a tree to come help solve the mystery of what the fuck is going on on this weird island. 
and it's not bad. It's, uh, I think it's made by a French indie studio. Um, it has a little bit of rough edges here and there. Some of the like transition screens look pretty cheap, but the animation is really, really nice. And the just weird story and weird, interesting characters in this kind of sci-fi X-Files-y kind of world island thing, you know, uh, little bit of the things mixed in there too. It, it makes for a fun little game. Um, a very inexpensive game. I haven't beaten it. Uh, I keep, you know, you know, I run into snacks. That's the thing about adventure games. I, I really enjoy them up to the point where I, I come to a puzzle I just cannot figure out and then I get extremely frustrated and will just not play them for a couple days or forget about them completely or just look them up and just use a walkthrough, you know. I'm at that point in Earthworms, but I've gotten pretty far, and the story deals with these, what they call Earthworms on this island, and weird disappearances, and they're not Earthworms, and uh, people are not actually disappearing, but that's all I will say. Worth your time, I think. Uh, of these games, Earthworms and Mechanica are both absolutely worth your time. Bubble Boy 2, uh, Planet RIX 13 is kind of just like, if you're really bored, and it's cheap. But I, I really like adventure games. It's kind of a very pure form of... Uh, I know RPGs were invented in the United States, but they kind of became Japanese. Adventure games kind of like replaced that for Americans for a while, where it was just... It wasn't, you know... You weren't making um, stats go up, but you were like telling a story in an interesting kind of way. And there was much more of a mystery about these kinds of games than there still is to this day. It's all about figuring stuff out and finding things. And it can be a very satisfying genre. So I thought I'd just, you know, talk a little bit about that. But all that being said, we'll be right back after this. That's the show, Sea Monkeys. Before you go, if you like my mumbling nonsense, please consider supporting it at patreon.com forward slash leftendo with a donation of 350 Speaking of, a massive shout-out and thank you goes to Issa and Rai for being my dear patrons. If you're new to Leftendo and would like to subscribe, just search Leftendo and Apple Podcasts. And hey, while you're there, leave a review, but be gentle or else lube me up first. You can find me at Anarcho Murphy and the show at Leftendo for more insane hedonistic content. Anyway, Sea Monkeys, uh, had a lot of fun this time. Um, I'm very high. I'm going to kind of wander off and try to get this out as soon as I can. But, you know, it'll come out soon enough. But I don't know when. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> Bowsette forever. Adios.
I'm stoned as fuck!